0: Welcome back to the Gospel Attic Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Greg Bryan. I'm joined with my co-host, Jim Resky. and we also have a special guest with us, a good friend, Randy Nickel. Guys, it's really good to be together. I'm excited to look at the book of 1 Thessalonians. We might even dip our toes into 2 Thessalonians, one of Paul's first letters that he that he wrote. It's uh, really cool. Uh, short letter, but it's really powerful. It's got some strong themes in it. So we want to, well, I guess before we dive in, Randy, how are you doing, man? How's life?
2: Uh, Doing well, Greg. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me back on. Um, Things are going well. My, uh, just dropped my daughter off at college. So I'm, uh, for the first time in 35 years, I'm uh, an empty nester, which is kind of wild. So but uh, yeah, so we're, we're doing well. That's a big deal.
0: That's a big deal. I can imagine uh, the house is probably very quiet.
2: <laughs> oh, yes, it is. It's very quiet. And uh, it was weird. The other night I was going to bed and I realized I could lock the door and turn
1: off the lights that no one was coming home. So yeah, anyways. Well, what better way to celebrate than doing a episode of the Gospel Attic podcast with us there you go that's Thanks right
0: coming. yeah we're glad to have you Randy so glad to have you um Randy you you'll be um you know feel free to to pipe in anytime you have a, a thought or comment Jim what's uh what's going on with you Jim and I Jim let's we sh- we should actually talk about what you and I experienced together last Sunday oh my goodness yeah
1: well, for our listeners, we memorialized this uh, great outing we had together by taking a picture, and it's now the uh, part of the logo for the Gospel Addict Podcast. So if you're listening, if you clicked on it today and you got this, you probably saw that for the first time. There's a little cartoonish images of Greg and I on the cover, and it's because Greg and I were out together last Sunday at a fun outing and s- snapped a photograph, and that's now on our logo.
0: You don't want to t- tell them what the outing was?
1: Well... Sure. So, uh, very, very briefly, I uh, uh, it was a um, uh, uh, racing driving instructing course with professional uh, on a professional race course with professional race drivers, and um, I uh, uh, I made a donation. It was kind of it was a, and this was part of the uh, the prize that came with making the donation, and and so I got to go race a whole bunch of very fast and exciting cars around a racetrack with a professional driver instructor. For half day. I was gonna go alone. The night before I was texting Greg and I we were texting each other. Greg said, I'll go with you. And I said, No, don't go, it'll be boring. He said, No, I'll go. So, Greg, it was I so great it. to have you along.
0: I loved it. And I took a test drive, you know, I went 140 miles in a car around this track. And man, that was crazy. And I wasn't driving, but Jim actually got to drive these cars. What was there? Porsche, Mercedes. Yeah. Or Starting no, there wasn't the- a Mercedes.
1: No, no Mercedes. We started with the, the the AMG GT. wasn't there, but we started with a uh, C8 Corvette, the new one, which I thought was fast until I drove the uh, some of the other ones, like the Audi R8 with a V10, which seemed fast until I drove the Lamborghini, a Huracan, and that seemed like an ex- that's an exotic car. That seemed really fast. But to give you an example, this little race course is really twisty and it has a very short straight. And with the Corvette, the first car I drove, I got up to 85 miles an hour on the straight. I thought, Wow, man, this is cooking. Yeah, to v8 engine it's really 85 miles an hour i thought that was really great um but then i drove the by the time i got to the lamborghini going much faster and then i drove you think the Lamborghini's fast then you drove a ferrari ferrari 488 gtb and that is so that is set up for racing you lightning fast shifts great braking super responsive and you think that's fast until so you drive the ultimate car they had there which was a porsche 911 uh, gt3 rs and that just is an unbelievably empathic car that reads your mind and turns in it. So that car, I got up to 140 miles an hour, 138. So I don't want to exaggerate, 138 miles an hour on the street.
0: That was your favorite one?
1: No, by far. By so far. it was
0: a two-mile track. The track is two miles long. He got to do like three laps in these cars. And progressively, what was cool is like you improved every time you drove another car. You kept, you went faster. You you. Because it's you have to learn that you can't brake and turn at the same time. You can't, you know. There, there's you got to be really, really careful uh, going that fast.
1: Yeah. With a car, I didn't even mention it was a Ford Mustang. I'm Probably some of our listeners that may be their favorite car, Shelby GT500, 741 horsepower. But that's a car front engine, rear wheel drive, where they they told you in instruction, whatever you do, do not turn at the same time you are giving the throttle, or that rear end is going to come right around. So you got to kind of turn get. Going the nose straight ahead, slam it. That V8 engine roars to life, and you go, you rock it forward. But you can't. You, you got to be super careful. with so much power um, that otherwise you just spin off the track. So, and they they warned <laughs> me. They scared the living daylights out of us, talking about how expensive it's going to be. If you spin off the track, you're going to pay for that car. So, we're all pretty careful.
0: That's right. So, Randy, what do you think about that?
2: You're muted. I was. I have a fan going in the background. I actually was sitting here thinking that's unbelievable. I was trying to think about how what that would be like going that fast. Um, You've yeah. ever done anything like
1: that, Randy? Uh, no, I've never driven like a race car like that. No. Uh-uh. Yeah, what an experience. Most people come and they just want to drive, you know, the Lamborghinis. So they pay their money, they do three laps, and they're kind of towing around the tiptoeing around the course. And and they by the time you do three laps, you're just getting comfortable, and you pull in, it's over. And so by the time I'd done 21 laps with seven cars. And so by the, by the end, uh, you're really with a professional driver who's telling you, you know, hit this apex, accelerate here, swing out over here, now brake leg, go. And so by the end, we're just passing the other cars and they're pulling my over. My question, and, though, is how you right.
2: could ever have thought that was going to be boring. <laughs>
1: <That's so> boring. <laughs> it's exciting for the driver. I thought for poor Greg that you to didn't watch. But yeah, I'm glad you got you to got do one of those drive alongs Greg. That sound like that was fun.
0: Yeah, and I also enjoyed. I took, you know, I had your camera, and I took a bunch of pictures. It was fun taking pictures as the car was was zinging around the. I mean, it was just fun to watch the cars. Um, it laugh. was it was just a cool experience. I I really really enjoyed it. So anyway, that was fun. Um, we're not sure if we'll keep that in the podcast or not, but we'll see, we'll see. But <laughs> well, let's dive part. let's dive into the uh, the background of First Thessalonians. Um. Yeah. Jim, Jim, get us started.
1: Yeah, let me get you started, and then um, we can kind of shift off here a little bit, um, uh, uh, um, uh, move around. So, I, so First Thessalonians um, uh, is a book that um, w- one of the epistles that Paul wrote, um, kind of in the middle of the New Testament. Uh, I actually like to think of this as the start of the Ts, because you have First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus. So it helps me remember where it is but epistles are letters. And so this is one of the letters that Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica, where he had um, established a church. And there's a short section in the book of Acts that kind of talks about that and how that works. And, and Randy, I don't know if you had that called up. I thought maybe you, you were thinking maybe you could read that and we could just talk about how this church got started. Sure. I, I would love to. Um,
2: yeah. So in Acts 17, and we have the story here of of Paul's uh, trip and and time in Thessalonica, and so, and verses, I'm going to read Acts 17, verses 1 through 9, and it's in the NIV. It says, when Paul and his companions had passed through uh, Amphibus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue, and as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue And on three Sabbath days, he reasons with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials shouting. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. In just a couple more verses, it says, and as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica and they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was said was true.
1: Yeah, that's just, that, that's, thanks Randy for reading that. Just a quick comment. I always think about when I read this kind of stuff in the book of Acts, how it helps me, it just helps convince me that scriptures will really be true. That the Bible we have now is something you can rely on because the level of detail that's in here and the way it's written it's almost comical. You would just not make this up. You wouldn't write it this way. You wouldn't say they got so mad. They got so mad at these guys, but they couldn't get them. So they grabbed the host. They grabbed the guy whose house they were staying at. And, they, and he had to, and then the detail, they were so mad at him, they were uh, uh, going to lock him up, but he posted bond. They, they gave him, they uh, had taken money from Jason as security, and then they let him go. Just a little kind of detail that you would write it. But if you were making this up as a story, you would never write in that kind of story, right? you know, some kind of dramatic story where they're arrested and hauled before the, uh, some tribunal, but like, oh, they couldn't get him, so they grabbed the guy who owned the house where they were staying and made him post-bond, and they're just so angry. It's just that kind of detail convinces me that it's true. Um, and then one other just thought on this passage, and I, I, Randy, I have a slightly different translation than you have. I have the ESV, and I just love this. I think the New American Standard that I grew up with it reads, it reads the same way. It's in verse uh six when they they uh they get there and these are the critics these are the the people that are upset with the apostles and uh, uh, with with uh, paul they say these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also isn't that awesome like he they, these are not guys that they didn't like them. they weren't saying it as a compliment they were angry like these they've turned the world upside down and it was the gospel that was on fire the gospel just spreading the wildfire with driven by the holy spirit through these people, turning the world upside down. What a testimony. Um, I know that two of you are in full-time ministry. Isn't that what you want people to say about you? Randy and Greg have turned the world upside down, right? This is what we all want as Christians, that God would use us in that kind of powerful way. So I just couldn't let that go without highlighting that verse for, for everybody. Awesome.
0: Amen. And one of the one of the interesting things about this is he was only in Thessalon- Thessalonica for a very short time. And... Yeah, yeah. It's our understanding that this is the first letter, you know, Paul wrote like something like two thirds of the new Testament, maybe not quite two thirds, but, um, it depends on if you count the number of books or the number of pages or whatever, but let's just say he wrote a large portion of the new Testament that we have in our hands. This is one of the very first things he wrote was his letter to the Thessalonians and i believe it was written in about 51 ad does that sound right
1: yeah that's what my commentators are saying right around there so and this there. is the
0: context of of uh uh how the church got started and uh you know i think randy you were the one who mentioned like how briefly paul was there and that that's that's striking yeah
2: it is pretty amazing when you think Paul spent a lot of time developing leaders in the towns that he was in, and that was a priority so that when he left, there was leadership to take on, and he would develop elders. Well, he didn't have a chance to do anything like that in Thessalonica, and the amazing thing about it is the church seemed to do very well, Um, and so um, you know the Holy Spirit seemed to really continue to help mold and develop the church in that community. Um, In the midst of uh, incredible um, opposition, the church uh, continued to grow.
1: So then Paul leaves, they all leave, and then Paul sends Timothy back. He can't go back, but he sends Timothy back a few months later, says in my commentary. And then Timothy stays there for a while, then meets up with Paul in Corinth and gives Paul an update on how things are going in the church. And he must have said, yeah, things are going great. They're getting established in the Lord, and they're growing. But they do have some questions, like about the second coming of Christ and people dying. Some of the, you can tell by the way Paul's writing the letter that he's writing it to address some of the questions that must have been funneled to him back through Timothy's report, right, Uh, you know, uh, just that they're doing well, They're they're doing well in the Lord, but they do have some questions that are troubling them. Paul seems to kind of want to address those things.
0: Before we dive into those themes, let's, let's uh, you know, back in this Acts chapter 17, I, I love, you know, starting in verse two, where it says, you know, how he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He used the Old Testament scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Um, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So that's the gospel, you know, Paul was sharing the gospel and it was changing lives. And, you know, we call this podcast, the gospel addict podcast. And because we think the gospel changes everything it it's, and it's not just for our salvation, but it's also for, it's one of the keys to our sanctification. In other words, one of the big mistakes that I feel like I see Christians make all the time is They come to faith by grace through the gospel, but then they try to grow spiritually through their works. Right. And they, they kind of move on from the gospel. They kind of fall back into their default mode, which is self-justification and works-based sanctification is what I call it. And so we call this the gospel addict podcast because not only do we need the gospel for our salvation, but we need to, we need the gospel for our sanctification. And so I just, I, I just love, and the apostle Paul, you know, all through the, the scriptures talks about how, um, the power of the gospel, um, to change lives. So any, you guys want to make any further comments about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, You're absolutely right, Greg, and I lived a lot of my Christian life that way, the early Christian life, thinking that, you know, the gospel starts you off, and what we all, the phrase, you and I often say, we thought the gospel was the ABCs of the Christian life, and now we realize it's the A to Z of the Christian life. We thought it was something that would start you off, but then your growth in Christ was all through hard work and effort. Grit your teeth and try harder, make better decisions, and grow in Christ, and put your mind to it, and really grow, and that's sanctification will come through hard work and effort, and if you and I think as an early Christian, that's why I like, you know, like First Thessalonians 4, you can write First Thessalonians 4 and it starts talking about, look, this is how you ought to walk. If I'm looking for verse 1, you know, he says, you know, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, that you do so more and more. And in verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. He talks about sexual morality and he talks about um, purity and uh, how to live in holiness, right? Um in and, and, you know, I would sing my teeth into that stuff. I would think this is, this is that's, that's it. That's what the Christian life's about. You see, we, time to get on to brass tacks and get going for the Christian life. We're going to work towards holiness and sanctification right there in 1 Thessalonians 4. And what you miss at this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, if you read it, the, the word gospel comes up again and again and again, each of those chapters. You know, before we started, Greg, I was trying to circle those and highlight those. But for our listeners who might be flipping along with us, you know, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse five it talks about our gospel keen to you not only in word but also in power and in the holy spirit with full conviction and then chapter two talks in verse uh two verse two uh but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at philippi as you know we had boldness in our god to declare to you the gospel of god in the midst of much conflict and then just a few verses later um this is actually a great verse and uh memorized a while ago, um, in verse four, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. And then verse eight, chapter two, verse eight, you know, uh, being affectionately desirous, de- desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you become very dear to us. Uh, and wait, wait, there's more. There's two more. in still in chapter two.
0: Verse uh, nine.
1: Yeah, verse 9, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And then uh, down in chapter 3, verse, one, verse 2, we send Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the go- our co-worker in the gospel of Christ. So gospel, 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 get it again. And then it's talking about sanctification. And I think that's what we keep talking about on this podcast. What's the tie-in of the two? And the tie-in is that the gospel drives your sanctification. The gospel is your sanctification. The gospel, you never leave it it's the whole Christian life, right, and that's, we we talk about all the time, but it's worth repeating, this is what makes us gospel addicts.
0: Yeah, and so one of the things you, you, you have this illustration, and let's assume people are maybe listening for the first time, you know, a lot of times we just think of, you know, the spiritual life is, okay, there's, time is the horizontal axis, and our holiness is the, is the vertical axis, and so, the goal of the Christian life is just to keep moving up and to the right.
1: That's right.
0: And a lot of times we, we do that. The gospel starts us off, but then, but then it's our hard work and effort. It's, we got to follow the rules. We got to keep, you know, we got to keep doing the, doing this. I got to make myself holy. I got to make myself holy.
1: That's right.
0: And, and if you do that, you fall into some traps. One is like pride for one thing, spiritual pride, because if you're successful, then, then you're always looking down on people that aren't successful. Right. And, but quite often it's the opposite that happens. We, we fail and we just, you know, it's just exhausting and you just feel like giving up and you're like, if this is what Christianity is all about, I'm done. But that's where we, people miss the gospel. Randy, you want to make a comment then Jim?
2: Well, yeah, I I was going to say, um, when I graduated from university uh, and I went on staff of this ministry and one of the things we had to do was to take a time management course. And one of the things you had to do is write what you wanted your life to be about at the end of your life, like if it was on your tombstone. And I remember at the time, um, the great commandment, I wanted to be about the great to love God with my heart, soul, mind and strength. And so I, I wrote um I relentlessly loved God. And I I, I really feel like as uh, at least in the household I grew up in that your work ethic was so important. Like one of the things I taught my sons is you won't always be the best at something in the room, but you can be the hardest working. And the scripture says a lot about being hardworking, but when it comes to our salvation and sanctification, it's about rest. It's about trust. It's about allowing God to do the work. And so a number of years later, I was so convicted about what I had written. I I found that file and opened it up and rewrote it. And it was relentlessly loved by God. Mm -hmm. Even though we're called to do the great commandment, we love because he first loved us. If we don't know his love, if we're not consumed by his love, and that's the gospel, that when we're consumed by his love for us, uh, it was interesting. I was told once that in the 1800s, when people came to know Jesus, the term they used was they were seized by the power of the great affection. And I, I love that term, that God's affection sees I picture like just grabbing a hold and not letting go. And so, you know, if, if we haven't been seized, if anyone listening to this hasn't been seized by God's unbelievable love for you that's where it starts and um but it doesn't just start there it ends there doesn't it like it starts there is so anyways I I just think it's very easy for us to think it's our salvation was about Jesus now it's up to us and um I think we need to remember that that really it's ultimately all about what Jesus does
1: yeah, Greg, it reminds me of the phrase you used once when you were teaching recently that um, every other religion on earth is about do, do, do. And what's Christianity, Greg? How's it different?
0: It's done. Amen. D-O-N-E. Religion. And and it's so easy. It's so easy for Christians to fall into the trap of religion. Yeah. And to start out with a relationship with Jesus, but then fall back into religion So um, thank you for sharing that, Randy. That was really awesome. I really, really love that. Uh, I I love what what you shared there. Um, But Jim, we talk about, so you got the single line that we tend to, that's kind of our default setting is to try to, you know, like, you know, anybody that owns like stocks, you always want your stock to keep going up and to the right, you know, increasing in value. Um, so we want to just keep going up and to the right and becoming more and more holy, but what's the problem with that, Jim? And what's the, what's the, you know, the illustration that you'd like to, that you'd like to use?
1: Yeah, it's so much easier. I know this is audio only for our listeners. So we'll try to visualize this for you. So let's try to stay with us, but it's help, helpful when you, if you see it to kind of the contrast is what kind of brings it out. Because Randy, as you were talking about that story, that idea of being relentless, I'm going to be relentless. I'm a new pledge to follow God and, and I'm going to be relentless in my love for him. That's kind of what Greg is talking about when you say, I'm going, to, I'm going to work hard at climbing up this single line. And you could say in your Christianity, and then you say, I, I believe in Jesus. He saved me from my sins. So the start of that base of that little diagonal line where the vertical and horizontal axis come together, where the diagonal line starts off, there's a little cross there. And you say, that's the gospel. It saved me. But now, now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to climb up that line through my relentless effort. And I, I would have drawn that picture of the Christian, if you say draw what Christianity looks like, until I was in my mid-30s, I would have drawn it like that somehow, some version of that. I would have drawn that out, and with, it, it's if you see it drawn out differently, it helps you understand how the gospel is so different, kind of in the narrative form you put it, Randy, the way when God gripped your heart, and he said it's about me loving you, and you can contrast that, so so bear with me, and I'll try to describe this. That sing, Picture that single line illustration where the the cross starts you out in the bottom left corner and there's a single line up into the right, all driven by your hard work and effort. And the contrast to that is the same scale, uh, holiness or righteousness on the vertical axis and then time on the horizontal axis. And there's an upward sloping line, but the upward sloping line is not your increasing performance. It is your growing awareness over time of God's holiness. And then from this, so you draw that somewhere along the line and then from that same starting point where that diagonal line takes off and goes up into the right, Start there, and you draw a, a downward sloping line. That is your growing awareness over time of your own sinfulness, or your lost, or your lostness, your lack of holiness. So all of us, your believers, at some point in our lives, when we came to know, we said, "Wait a second. There's a gap between Him and me. There's a gap between Him and me. I need the cross to fill that gap." And so early in the Christian life, that's what you see. When those two lines are close to each other and they're just starting to diverge from each other, you draw a little cross in, the little, in that crux between, that joins the two lines and say, that's it, that's the gospel. That's the gospel that, that, that closed the gap between me and him. And then, as, but as you grow in your Christian life, you realize how incredible holy, incredibly holy, wonderful he really is. And your diagonal upward line goes even further and you realize how sinful and lost you are even more so. And yet that diagonal line goes even further. And the cross filling the gap gets bigger and bigger. And then you even grow even more in the Christian life. And you say, look, today, I, I am more aware of my sin than I was two years ago. I'm more, it, it, spiritual growth is marked by growth of awareness. Growth, growth and awareness. I'm more aware of my sin. I'm more aware of how holy he is. And so therefore, the cross looms bigger and bigger because it fills a never-widening gap and looms larger and larger. And, I'm, and what the result of that is, what I thought was an okay salvation at the start of my Christian life and like this tiny little gap between me and him now is an incredible salvation. Uh, Hebrews uh, 3, I think it's Hebrews 3, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's a great salvation. It's not a little salvation. It's an enormous salvation. And what it does is it makes you grateful. It makes you grateful. So in that single line approach, the whole engine of the Christian life is hard work and effort and gospel-driven Christianity that we're talking about on the Gospel Addict podcast is when you say the whole engine of the Christian life is sheer gratitude. And every time we talk about being gospel addicts, that's what I think. of. I'm just so, great, so grateful to Jesus. Because you know, today I'm more aware of my sinfulness than I was yesterday. And I'm more aware of his holiness. And the cross is bigger and bigger than it was even yesterday or just last week. So just growing gratefulness. And then one more thing, and I'll, I'll wrap it up. All this takes place in your Christian life. And you're more and more grateful all the time. And then the, and we do the illustration. We have another diagonal in a line. It kind of starts down below and is a dotted line. It starts sloping upward. You say, well, what is that? It's another line. It's got an upward slope to it and it's dotted. What is it's dashed line? What does that mean? That is your changing life. That is your change life. Cause your life does change, right? Randy, when God, you felt God's relentless love for you say, I don't want to sin anymore. I want to turn my back on these things I was doing. I want to give my heart to him. I want to live a life that pleases him. We'll get to that in 1st, That's 4. I want. I want to do these things for him, not, because I'm earning his favor, I've already got it. But it is a total reaction to what he's done for me. It's so different than climbing that single line of spiritual performance, thinking I've got to earn my sanctification. I say, God's given it to me already. And of sheer gratitude, I just want to serve him and please him. That's why it's dotted because you're not really, really aware of it. You're not really focused on your Christian life. You're always just focused on the cross, the cross, the cross, the gospel. And so the gospel drives your whole life and that's gospel-driven sanctification. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need
2: of God's grace.
1: See you next time.